I have uh, the pleasure today of introducing Craig Springer. And Craig is uh, National Director of Alpha USA. And uh, as you know, we are an Alpha church. We love Alpha. And when I heard that Craig was in town, I was like, I want Craig to speak. And he's here with his wife, Sarah. And so uh, without further ado, Craig, please come up. We're so excited that you're here. Um, We are... uh, We are so grateful for the life change that we have seen here at our church through Alpha, and we have every intention of taking that to another level, and we know that Alpha USA has been so instrumental in that, and we're grateful for you. Oh, I love so it. thank you for being here. Uh, well, just a quick introduction. You heard, there's my beautiful wife, Sarah. We brought a family selfie so you can see our kids. So if you want to pull that up, they wanted to say hello to you. They're 9 and 11, Isaiah and Isabel. And they're now at the age where I don't actually pretend that uh, they're beating me at Monopoly. They just beat me at Monopoly. It's legit. We're in a new life season. Sarah and I have been married for 18 years. And I wanted to just admit how thankful I am to have been married in the year 2000 because I'm a forgetful guy. So how convenient. Ask me what year I've been married. And I'll tell you, I've been married 18 years already. Next year will be 19 years. This is 2019. God knew I needed a little bit of help. If you get to know me, you will find out I am a guy that makes mistakes and sometimes very costly mistakes. One time we were loading a long bookshelf into our little sedan and I'm in the back of the trunk all the way up. The bookshelf is lying on the dashboard and Sarah is standing up at the dashboard saying, honey, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. What are you thinking? It's not worth it. Don't do it. And I'm like, I got this, honey. I got it. And so I get in the back of the trunk and I just slam it shut and the bookshelf jumps forward and carves a gash out of our dashboard. I don't have money to fix it. I'm living with this for the next few years. So every time we're driving around and I get a little bit lost and Sarah says, honey, do you think you're going the right way? Are are, are we going the right way? I said, I got this, honey. Don't worry about it. And she just looks and says, hmm, interesting, at the gash on the dashboard reminding me of my many costly mistakes and the, and the fact that I forget I make those mistakes. So let me ask you, show of hands, just the guys in the room. Are there any guys in here that make costly mistakes? I need to see some elbows throw here. I, not every guy's hand. We make costly mistakes. I made a very costly mistake in a relationship that mattered to me. I wanted God to work in the life of someone I love, and I needed a miracle in this relationship. And I was making a miracle-stopping mistake that was getting in the way. And I think that's true for every single one of us. We need breakthrough. You name the area of life. Something with work. Something with our um, emotional healing. Something with a relationship. A loved one who's maybe wandered a little bit too far away from, from sort of the true center of knowing God. Maybe you're facing even depression. We need a breakthrough. And there's this same mistake, though, that we end up making that gets in the way of us experiencing this breakthrough. And that's what I want us to talk about today is what is this miracle-stopping mistake? And then what needs to change so that we can experience and make more room for God's breakthrough in our lives? So hopefully you're with me on this. I'll be in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's up on the screen. Verse 1. 
the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, quick pause. This is the Old Testament. So at this point in time, God spoke through prophets to the people. So they didn't really have the Holy Spirit for everyone. They didn't even necessarily all have a scripture that they could read. So God spoke through these prophets. Elisha at the time was the super prophet. He was the big guy in town. Your servant, my husband, is dead, says this um, now widow. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. So she's desperate. She needs a miracle. She needs a breakthrough. And super prophet Elisha is coming in with the response of the century. He replied to her, how can I help you? I don't know. If I am the widow, I am thinking, are you kidding me? I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. They're coming to take my boys. Oh, wait, I am not walking into J. Crew trying to buy a pair of khakis. How can I help you? Miracle. That's what I need. I just wonder, do any of you ever feel that way? Like you go to God with desperation, with genuine, authentic prayer, and all you get back is either no response or some very confusing, doesn't make any sense and doesn't make any change in your life response. Have you ever experienced that in prayer? I mean, I know I have. It's really interesting to me because when you go back in the Gospels, you find that Jesus did something very similar. Elisha said, how can I help you? When someone came to him in desperation, Jesus actually did this to blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, help me. And Jesus turned to him and said, what would you want me to do for you? It's like, would you like the the blue trousers or the tan trousers? I I just don't understand this. And blind Bartimaeus is like, no, I want to see So why? This is an important question. Why does Elisha and then also Jesus, in the face of very clear circumstantial problems that need a miracle, why do they just say, how can we help you? And it must be that they know something. There must be something more to break through than just the heavenly snap of fingers and a changed outcome. There must be something more that has to happen. See, so often we think that There's something external. There's a problem out there that needs to be fixed. So Jesus fix it, right? But Elisha here and then Jesus with blind Bartimaeus, they know that breakthrough needs to occur within. If we want something to reform externally, something will always need to transform internally first. Did you catch that? If we want something to transform externally, something will always need to transform internally first. So the real first question is, if you're facing a problem out there, is to, is to get honest with the Lord and say, what needs to change in me in order for there to become a miracle of breakthrough? And what is it that needs to change? Well, I think that those of us who just face a letdown after a letdown after a letdown in a certain area of life, in a certain relationship, it's like we just get pummeled. And so we allow or we take on this defense mechanism. And it makes sense. Who wants to keep facing the pain of another letdown? And so we slowly stop trying in that area or in that relationship. And the more difficulty comes, we slowly stop admitting our need for change because it's just, it's even too much mentally to think, oh, I need this thing to change. We, we kind of let that die down. And then more difficulty, more letdown, more potential failure. And we think, I don't even want, I've never even wanted that to change. Because it's a form of survival. We've got to dull that pain of letdown 
over and over again. We, we think we call it survival, but there's another name for it. It's called defeat. And that's when we've let the possibility of change die altogether in our hearts. And now the real problem is no longer out there. And this is what I think Elisha and Jesus knew. It's no longer out there the difficulties we face because now we've been defeated by defeat. And we carry that with us then in every circumstance that we step into. That is the miracle-stopping mistake, to be defeated by defeat. And that's the mistake that this poor widow was making in Second Kings. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, tell me, what do you have in your house? And here you can just see and hear her defeat. She just says, your servant has nothing there at all. There, there's nothing there. She's just defeated. I have no resource. There's nothing that can help me. There's nothing that can pull me out of this mess. And then she sort of flippantly says, well, I mean, except for that little small jar of olive oil. But she's defeated by defeat. There's nothing in her mind that could ever multiply into a miracle. And that is the very expensive mistake that I made in my relationship with my father. I had gotten to the point that I was defeated by defeat. See, in many ways, my dad was a very good and loving man. We have all these wonderful childhood memories, fishing together and ice skating and all this stuff. But then, you know, as time went on, which maybe is true for many of you, I just have these flashbacks of harsh arguments, distance-creating separation in our relationship. Turned my heart cold. Seemed like it turned his heart cold. That distance set in year after year after year. He disengaged emotionally, relationally. Uh, He was an attorney in downtown Chicago. He sort of coped by just disappearing to workaholism. He just was completely unavailable to me in a huge amount of my life. And he grew up Jewish. At this point, though, it seemed like he wanted absolutely nothing to do with God, and it also felt like he wanted absolutely nothing to do with me, sort of stiff-arming God, kind of stiff-arming his family. And I just got bitter and more angry, more separated. And it was in this season I actually became a Christian. It was a very real transformation. I gave my life to Christ. And then I entered into Christian ministry. And imagine what that did to our relationship. It's just more friction. More separation, more distance. Now, if Elisha came to me in that moment and said, Craig, how can I help you? You know what my answer would have been? Well, there's nothing you can do. I've tried. I've prayed. I've talked to him. I've tried to give him that book. I've tried to read that book. We've t- you name it. We've tried. There is nothing you can do. This is done. I'm done defeated by defeat. Now, I just want to pause for 10 seconds and ask you, is there a relationship? Is there an area? Is there a challenge in your life where you have given defeat the wheel? Or at least defeat has a hand on the wheel, maybe not completely. Just take a moment, close your eyes for 10 seconds. Let that area come up with courage into your mind.
the first step that this grieving, scared widow had to take was that to realize again that the problem was not the difficulty outside, it was the defeat within. And so she had to rekindle hope, to be reminded that with God, all things are possible. And this was the very same journey I had to begin walking in my relationship with my dad, because if we don't rekindle hope and think, wait a minute, with God, all things are possible, we won't be able to do step two in defeating defeat, which is to release the resource. Step one is rekindle hope. Step two is to release the resource. What in the world do I mean by release the resource? Well, I'll explain. If you study scripture and you study the pattern of miracles and breakthrough throughout scripture, you can't miss this. God will do the supernatural. But it almost always begins through the release of a natural resource. God will do the supernatural, but it almost always begins first through the release of a natural resource because God is looking for a natural foothold that you and I create by faith so that he can bring heaven to earth. We're going to find out about this widow. What's that little small jar of olive oil all about? Well, it's a foothold by faith. You think of Moses standing on the shores of the Red Sea. You know, the, the Israelites promised the promised land, taken out of slavery, and then they get to the Red Sea, and now they're crying out, Lord, why did you save us from slavery only to have us murdered on the shores of the sea? They think there's no way out, and they're crying out. And the Lord says to Moses, who's holding his staff, he says, Moses, why are the people crying out to me? Take this staff that's already in your hand and part the sea and get moving. It's like, release the resource I've already given you. I'll multiply it to America. Think of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He says to his disciples, what do you have for them? What can you give them to eat? All these people. He says, what do you have? uh, Five loaves, two fish. This little kid has it. I don't know. Can, Can anything happen from that? He says, great. He was just waiting for enough of a foothold of faith so that heaven can come to earth. That 5,000 People were fed according to the scripture. We see this pattern. Release the resource that's already in your grip and God will multiply the natural into the supernatural. Okay, the Apostle Paul takes this even a step further, a little more clarity. He says in 2 Corinthians 6.1 that you and I are God's co-workers or co-laborers. So when it comes to God doing his work of breakthrough in this world, he says to you and me, you're the co-workers, you're the conduits of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And so that means, unless you and I are hopeful enough that we can take that next step of put that next level energy back on the table, have that conversation, make that apology, take that effort, we might miss the potential of God because God looks at you and I when he he wants to do breakthroughs in this world and he says, I'm not just inviting you to participate You're necessary. And so I started seeing this reality play out in my relationship with my dad. You know, I had given up. I was defeated by defeat. I got to this point where I'd rekindled just enough hope to begin even thinking about him again after many, many years. And I was a pastor of a church about 45 minutes from where he was living. And we're doing this massive Father's Day outreach, just making a huge deal of it, trying to get everyone, you know, bring your father, bring your son, bring your grandparent, whatever, And I'm casting vision in the back of my head. I'm hearing this voice like, why don't you practice what you preach, Craig? You know, like, oh, I've lost hope for my dad. So 
I started praying, God, what in the world could I do that would possibly have an impact on my dad? I mean, you know I've tried. You know, there's nothing in these cupboards, Lord. He says, well, what's in your hand? Oh, you're doing this Father's Day outreach service. Why don't you invite your dad? So I did, and he came, surprisingly. And more on that in a bit. Chapter 4, verse 3, 2 Kings. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I get the impression that God would have kept filling however many empty jars that she had placed before him. So I try to imagine that. I think, you know, what if she had just enough hope and motivation to go and collect three jars? You know, Elisha said, hey, go collect empty jars. And she's thinking to herself, yeah, I tried that. I did. I did the whole empty jar thing. Uh, it didn't work. I mean, this guy is ridiculous. Whatever. I'm just going to, okay, fine. Here's one jar. And he's going to be on me if I only have one jar. I'll get two jars. Okay, fine. Three jars. That's going to just get him off my bed. This is, this is ridiculous. Here's three empty jars. What do you think would have happened if that was the level of hope and motivation? I think she would have had three filled jars. But then I imagine, what if hope was rekindled in her heart enough? What if defeat had been defeated enough? And she approached it differently. She's like, wait a minute. This is the God of heaven, the God who loves me, the God who made me, the God who has all the resources in all the world, the God who, with whom anything is possible. Oh, my goodness, I want to get a jar and another jar, and I'm going to get every single jar in this town. And then once I do that, I'm going to get every single jar in the next town over. I am not going to give up because her hope had been rekindled. Defeat had been defeated. What if she had collected 300 jars? What do you think would have happened then? I think she would have had a 300-jar miracle filled to the top of God's blessing. So what is the difference between a three-jar miracle and a 300-jar miracle in your life and mine? And it's not a trick question. It might be however many empty jars we continue placing before the Lord. We'll have just enough hope, just enough willingness to not give up asking again, putting before the Lord again, because we believe that with him, all things are possible. And so we're going to go after it again and again and again and again. And defeat will be defeated because hope is rekindled in our hearts and we will see all the outpouring of the Lord because God's outpouring might just match our outcry. The amount of blessing that you experience might just match the amount of empty need that you're placing before him. Because he's good. And he loves you. I just want to mention two types of jars. There's all kinds of empty jars that we can place before the Lord. I want to mention two jars. And then I want us to go to prayer and hopefully God can begin filling them. The first jar 
An invitation is a jar. You know, we have so many friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors and all this who are desperate for God's love and help, whether they know it or not. They are in need of his purpose and his ways and his forgiveness. And we see them and we're like, yes, Lord, zap them, you know, with your love. Just, just zap them. And then we forget, like, we're necessary to do, God does the zapping through us, right? We're the conduits of the kingdom of heaven. We are necessary. And so every single invitation you and I make to someone towards Christ or towards a church gathering where they're going to hear about Christ or towards an alpha experience where they're going to get to experience Christ, every invitation we make has the potential to change and eternity. You just never know. Is God going to fill this empty jar? I might as well put it before him. Is God going to fill this empty jar? I might as well put that before him. And, and James, and so many of you know about Alpha. And for those of you that don't, it's a 10-week course uh, for people to bring all their questions and exploring life and the Christian faith. And it's a judgment-free space. People come with doubts and hostilities and concerns, and no one um, jams it down their throat. No, no one corrects. It's judgment-free so people can just belong, explore, and hopefully someday believe. Now, I got involved in Alpha because I was a pastor, and I heard about this thing that was working in these sort of cities all throughout the globe. 27 million people have gone through it. It's thriving in sort of post-Christian city centers or even um, the center of Muslim nations or even tribal areas. It, all th- I'm like, what is this thing? How is God using this so dramatically? And... I got to know a study that the Barner Group did on Alpha, sort of a kind of a research uh, group. And they found that a non-Christian or an atheist who begins Alpha and completes it, 82% of the time crosses the line of faith. Like that is a potent invitation. James told me this morning that you as a church have run Alpha 38 times and every single time without fail, someone has crossed the line of faith in the Trinity Alpha I'm just like, this is amazing. I want to be a part. I want to put more jars out. I want to make more invitations to this thing that God is filling and working through. And so it's an amazing movement. 6,000 churches just in the U.S. alone running Alpha. 350,000 participants every single year just in the U.S. I'm, I know the most important reason why someone steps in the doors of an Alpha program is because someone made an invitation. Someone like you. Someone like me. Now, numbers are exciting, but... Hearing life change is way more important. God's kingdom always grows one life at a time. So my friend Jason came to our Alpha in the church that I'm a part of. He is a police officer in rural Colorado, which um, you'll have known from the news because he was the first first responder who walked into the Batman premiere shooting that happened some years back. Got on the call. He's just a few blocks away, ran in, secured the scene, got down on his hands and knees and held people as they passed on. And he admitted to us, he said, I literally felt the concrete set in around my soul, around my heart, and just harden. He said, it was strange, because that week I had to make a few other house visits on domestic abuse calls, pulling apart, you know, fathers who are hurting their loved ones, looking them in the eyes. These kids, he's like, just forget it. His heart turned to stone, and he admitted it. His wife, Ashley, 
was understandably concerned. I mean, he was a tough cop to begin with. Now he was like a tough, stone-cold guy. And she heard about Alpha. They didn't go to our church. She, she decided to make an invitation to Jason. It was a little bit more like, Jason, I don't care what you say. You're coming to Alpha. But those invitations count too, you know, spouses. You, can, you get a few of those uh, uh, every couple of years. And he came and he sat there. He's a rule follower. So he sat there. Listen, nobody forces anybody to talk. They can just interact how they want. He sat there, arms folded like this. Week one, we're thinking, whoa, this is going to be difficult. <laughs> Didn't say a word. Week two, we're thinking, okay, Jason's going to open up. At least say something, you know. Week two, just sits there. Week three, we're thinking, this is it. It's going to change. Week three, here we go. Nothing. Week four, finally, Jason softens up just a bit. And he says, listen, guys, I respect what you're doing, you know, the, the church. And I respect because there's so many people in those groups who don't know Christ. They're just asking questions. He said, listen, I know you're asking, is God real? Well, I can tell you, when you've held people as they bleed out, and when you look kids in the eyes and when their parents are hurting them and they didn't deserve that, you know there's no God that would ever allow anything like that to happen. Now, what do you say to a guy like that? Now, thankfully, you know, part of Alpha is training leaders not to answer questions. Don't jump in with sort of simplistic content. You know, nobody said, well, God had a greater purpose, you know, for, I don't know about that. We said, oh, Jason, I can imagine what you've gone through. That is tough. Now, tell us more what you're thinking. What are you feeling? So it kind of opened up his heart because you know it's not an explanation that's going to change someone's life. It's an experience of the living God that's going to change someone's life. And so over time, now finally, you know, we have this um, Alpha Weekend. James talked about the Holy Spirit Weekend this weekend. So Jason came on it at our church. And very simply, we just teach people to say, come Holy Spirit. Even if you don't believe God, give him a chance to show up. And so Jason did exactly like this. He said, come Holy Spirit. And he sat there for three minutes and then he just started weeping and it was messy and slobbery and, and, you know, volunteers got around him and just in, in kind of very kind ways, just started praying for him, laying hands on him. And he spent about 10 minutes in that space, just soaking it all in. And then after he was done, he's like, I have no idea what just happened to me, but I love Jesus. This is amazing, and I want to get baptized. And so three weeks later, and I have a picture here of Jason getting baptized with his boys three weeks after that moment. I'm like, yes, yes. And when I look at this picture, I think, what if Ashley had stayed defeated by defeat? That wouldn't be her family? What if she had rekindled hope to make that invitation, put out another jar before the Lord? Who in your life is it time to put out another jar for? Final jar I want to mention. So many of us have relationships that, that we long to see change. We think nothing will ever happen. Nothing will ever change. And I mentioned, you know, like with my dad, but every prayer that we pray is another jar that we can place before the Lord. And so when my dad came to that Father's Day service, it blew my eyes open. I, I thought, holy smokes, I had better get real about this. So I started praying constantly for him. Every chance I got, I put out another jar. I prayed again. God, just whatever you can do to soften his heart, bring him to you, Lord. Let him see peace. Let him know forgiveness. God, open him 
up. And my dad came to the church service and then another one and then another one. And he and I started meeting for lunches. I'm going to fast forward you because my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And he struggled, and he ultimately passed away due to related illnesses for, um, after six years. But one day before he lost his lucidity, I was praying for my dad, putting out another jar. And I just got this nudge from the Holy Spirit, and all it was was now. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I went over to him. I sat down with him. I said, Dad, do you remember last week when we were sitting right in this very same spot? And I said, Dad, you know you're not able to take care of yourself physically very soon. And you know medically, you, you need to give power of attorney over to someone who's going to be able to care for you. And you did, and he gave me power of attorney in that time. And it was a humbling surrender. And I said, Dad, you've been trying all your life to make peace with God. You've been running, you've been hiding, you've been pushing him away. You know that the end is close. You need to give power of attorney over to someone who can take care of your soul. You've never been able to yourself. Now, I never thought of sharing the gospel like that. Literally, the Holy Spirit just put it in my head. And I'm thinking, how else do you convince an old Jewish attorney about Jesus Christ and salvation? I'm like, this is perfect. You should use it. And it just clicked. And he got it. And he said, yes, I want to give my heart over to Jesus so he can take care of me, so he can bring me into forgiveness, so he can fill me with peace now and for all eternity. It was like, it was for real. And he started crying. We prayed together and we hugged. It was amazing. And it didn't stop there because then he turned to me and he said, and son, I want you to know I'm so proud of you, of who you are. I respect you. In many ways, you're the man I wish I was. And it's just like, Oh, this is my father who stiff-armed the creator of heaven for 74 years with whom I resented for 20 years. This is my dad now saying yes to the Lord and passing on blessing to his son. No way. Fast forward again. He fell into a coma. It was sudden. He was out for two weeks. This was it. He was in hospice. Um, off of all forms of life support for two weeks. And it just, there just wasn't closure because he had just, it was just sort of unexpected. And so I walked into his room. We, we had to leave. We'd been there for two weeks. It was time. We had to, fl- everyone was kind of flying home. We'd, we'd stood vigil. And just one last time, and I put my hand on his chest through his hospital robe. He was still warm. I could feel his heart beating really slowly. And his eyes popped open after two weeks of being out of it. And he couldn't move, but he focused his pupils in on me. And you could see the tears and the redness starting to form. And I just leaned into him. And I got the chance to give the blessing back in a way I never expected. It's like, Dad, I love you so much. I wouldn't have picked any other father on this planet other than you. I mean, the affection had grown so real in those remaining years. And I was like, I've I've learned how to work hard from you. I've learned how to be compassionate. I've learned how to, you know, be respectful and help us, all this stuff. And it was so fulfilling. And then I put my pastor hat on and I I talked him through Psalm 23. I'm like, you know, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You know, you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dad, you can go in peace now. You're his. 
my sister came in, my mom came in, they each had a special time, and then over time my dad faded away. The story I really thought I would have to be telling about him is that bitter, shut down, resentful man lives 74 years on his own path, and he died. End of story. Instead, I get to tell you that every blessing I ever long to speak to my father, every blessing a son ever hopes to hear from his dad, and all of heaven is rejoicing because he is with them. He is freed. He is the Lord's. He got to experience all that hope provides. And I don't take credit for this. I just, I just shudder to think, what if I had stayed defeated by defeat? And I wasn't able to make an invitation. I wasn't able to pray another prayer. I wasn't able to put out another empty jar before the Lord. What about that widow? What if she'd stay defeated about defeat? What about you? I'm going to ask you to stand up as we get ready to have a closing time of prayer. Where, again, are you tempted to make the costly mistake of being defeated by defeat? Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up any longer. Get defeat's hand off that wheel. It might be for some of you. It might not be for someone else. It might be for yourself. You might, you might say, you know what, defeat? I've given up on faith or I've never even known how to start. And for you, because we're going to pray. We're going to put out empty jars before the Lord this morning. For you, the empty jar might be your own heart. God, pour in your life into me. I've never known you. Or it might be, I've forgotten you, or I've wandered away. God, pour in again. Renew this dusty, empty place. Now, for some of you, you know, you're thinking of a person in your life, and you can sort of symbolically, we're going to put out an empty jar to think of, God, work again in them. God, give me, fill me with enough strength to make an invitation again, to pray a prayer again, and to do it with persevering fortitude. Because never forget, we are God's co-workers when it comes to his miraculous work. He's saying you're not only invited to participate, you are necessary because the level of God's outpouring might just match your outcry. So defeat, defeat with rekindled hope. Try again, ask again, pray again. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So if you close your eyes now, And do something silly with me. But everyone's eyes are closed, so it doesn't matter. Hold out an empty jar in your hands. Now label that jar in your mind. What is it? Who is it? And Lord, for those for whom the jar has been labeled for their own heart, their own life, Those who need to trust in Jesus today, we say a very simple prayer. You can just follow along with me. It's just, I'm sorry, thank you, please. I'm sorry, Jesus, that I've wandered away from you, that I've ruined the life you gave me. Or thank you that you're revealing yourself to me, that you give me a chance to be forgiven now in you. Thank you that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead, and you're at the right hand of the Father, that I can be forgiven and I can be saved. And please, Lord, fill me now with your spirit. 
for all of eternity. I receive you in Jesus' name. For those of you who need a renewed faith, Lord, fill me up again with new breath, new life. One that pushes out all the shame, all the condemnation, all the voices, all the lies are gone in the name of Jesus, we proclaim it. And Lord, for those who are praying on behalf of a loved one, God, would you work in their lives in miraculous ways? Give us chances to share. Give us reminders to pray. God, break through. We pour out more outcry and ask for your outpouring. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone together said, amen. Let's worship together.